Okay. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Blurb, where the back of a book meets a discerning look. Each week, best-selling author Sally Shields and publishing guru Dr. Kent listen to pitches from five authors vying for Book of the Week honors. Now live, on the air, with vigor and style, are Dr. Kent and Sally, the Bibliophiles. Hey everybody, welcome to Blurb. This is Sally Shields speaking. We have had a little bit... um, of a concern, Dr. Kent might be stuck in traffic, I'm not sure, but my one of my uh, blurb authors, David, please tell me, explain how you, how you pronounce your last name. Dave, Dave Wertheim. Wertheim has graciously offered to be here with me while we listen to some blurbs while we're waiting for Dr. Kent to arrive. How are you doing this week? I'm doing great. How are you? Great. I was so excited to see you in the chat room, and thanks for uh, hopping on board here. And um, I don't know, have you heard the show before? I can give you a quick uh, overview about how how we do things here at Blurb. No, I haven't heard it, but I have read your write-up, and I, I like what you're doing. Well, it's a lot of fun. Basically, what we do, as you know, is we have authors create three-minute pitches, uh, you know, what's on the back of the book. Basically, tell us a little bit about yourselves, um, how to create a blurb. We, we often, you know, try to teach authors what would be some of the great things that they can do to create a blurb? In other words, how they how we can help them market their book better. And a couple of things that we've come up with uh, that make a good blurb, we've sort of watered it down week after week and figured out sort of a, a, a format here, um, which is basically a boilerplate introduction. You want to infuse your personality and a smile throughout. You want to outline the benefits of your book. You want to give some actual value, some top tips within the excerpt. You want to wait towards the end of the talk about to talk about yourself, the author. You want to provide examples of your expertise and your successes and then give a call to action. So these are some of the things that really can help you sort of hone in on how you can best promote yourself within this blurb. And we've also decided on four criteria, bling, clarity, information, and delivery. So let's take a listen to our first blurb and see what we can uh, see what you think of it. What do you think about that? Sounds great. Let's go for it. Okay, here we go. We're going to listen to a blurb by uh, Aggie Villanova. Here we go. Rightfully Mine, God's Equal Rights Amendment, an historical novel by Aggie Villanueva, originally published by Thomas Nelson, recently reprinted by Aggie Villanueva, available at aggiev.org forward slash rightfully mine. Let us enter into an era in Israeli history where anticipation is a palpable hum, where the Bedouin lifestyle gives way to the birth of a nation, a promised nation, where men gear up for war, the era between their 40-year wandering and their victories over Canaan. After wandering in the plague-ridden desert for 40 years, the Israelites are preparing to move on at last to the promised land. But when Moses divides the land among the men of Israel, it is Rizpah, called Noah in Numbers 27, who has the courage to fight for her family of sisters. It was an unexpected blow to realize that the promised land was being divided all right, but only between the men. Rizpah must stand against an entire nation of men to earn for her and her sisters what is rightfully theirs. And into this era in the Bible that's often brushed over, I seamlessly weave into the plot a love story of (laughs) Rhett, Scarlett, and Ashley proportions. 
This is a woman's equal rights amendment straight out of history and handed down to us straight from the throne of God. How much more do we need to understand the great worth of women and our worth to God throughout history, today, and evermore? Rightfully Mine, God's Equal Rights Amendment by Aggie Villanueva. Available at aggiev.org forward slash rightfully mine. Well, I forgot to mention that today our genre is religion and spirituality. So that makes a lot more sense when we listen to uh, Aggie's book. Um, David, what did you think about that that blurb? Well, Sally, don't you think it's a little bit unfair to have me comment on other people's blurbs when my blurb's going to be played as well? Nope, not at all. Not at all. I would love to have your input. Well, I think she she gave a very clear explanation of what it is. If I were a woman, I think it'd be a great book to read because it talks about women's rights for God that God has granted. She does make it clear that it's a historical novel, so there's history and there's novel, there's a love story. It sounds very interesting. Yes, okay, I, I agree. It was very interesting. Now, from my perspective, I was a little bit, I mean, I did like the fact that she uh, – she started off talking about the Bedouin lifestyle, giving birth to a promised nation. There's an era between the Israelites ready to move on. And I wasn't sure exactly at first if it was um, a fiction or a historical, I guess it was a historical, was it historical fiction or was it a historical novel? I was a little unclear about exactly what it was. Um, I'm used to listening to more like nonfiction books. So I was right. I just got a little bit confused. So you thought it was pretty clear that it was what what did you think it was? A historical she, novel? She, she stated at the very beginning it's a historical novel. Okay. I must, so I, I take a novel to be fiction, right? Fiction right. with some hi- history backing it up. Okay, fantastic. Well I I did like the fact that she did give her website. She gave it at the beginning and the end and um I thought that she had um she maybe it had some good information, and think, I think she delivered it well. Um, okay, so you know, I'd love to go on. Let's let's take a listen to uh, our our co- our co-host of the day's blurb, and we're going to listen to yours now, David. I'm really excited about this one. Here Great. Love Talk Radio. Hi, this is Dave Wertheim from Roseville, California. I'm not a pastor, and I've never gone to seminary. But what I do have is 30 years in the business world and churches, impacting people positively and helping them live transformed lives. I've led 44 small groups and influenced over 1,000 people. So let me ask you some questions. Are you beat down by the consequences from poor choices you made in the past? Is baggage from your history holding you back? Do you earnestly desire to live a victorious life but are unable to break free from bad habits? Maybe you've even tried to change in the past, but without much success. If this resonates with you, I have great news. Your history no longer needs to dictate your destiny. Everyone can live a transformed life by choosing godly responses to everyday situations. It's not about trying harder or experiencing more guilt, but rather it's training better. Using common situations that every person encounters, Men You, Courses for a Transformed Life, offers practical tips that can reshape your decisions, relationships, and spiritual life 
leading to a life that is really worth living. Applying these principles will rekindle your love affair with your spouse, help you build up and nurture your children, live a single life that's God-honoring, and show you how to build and strengthen relational bridges at your work. This book is in the spiritual growth, Christian living genre. Here's what other people are saying. From a medical sales professional, the concepts and teachings in Menu Courses for a Transformed Life have changed my life. I am a calmer, more focused father, husband, and Christian. I am making the practical tips a habit I practice daily, and it's leading me to live a more God-honoring life. While I'm not fully there yet, I'm making great strides and look forward to the day I can be teaching these principles to others. From the CEO of a financial planning company, I've been applying the menu principles and my life and spiritual walk have been radically transformed. Through menu, I have discovered biblical truths in an easy-to-follow format that have brought to light many secrets that I had kept hidden for years. My marriage, family, and relationship with God have grown significantly through this process. In closing, I encourage you to read Menu Courses for a Transformed Life. You'll be glad you did. Thank you. Well, that was a fantastic blurb. I really, really loved it. I mean, the great thing is is that you know, you told us what was in it for the reader. But first of all, you told us why we should listen to you. I always tell authors, you know, there's so many people writing books about similar topics out there, but why should we listen to you? You told us that you were 30 years in the business world, you've led thousands, influenced thousands of people, led 44 small groups, and then you go and ask questions. Was baggage from history holding you back? Did you desire to live a victorious life? You tell us what's in it for us, and I really, really like that. It was fantastic. Great job on that. Well, thank you. I noticed I left off my URL so people can't even figure out how to get the book. <laughs> yeah, I was going to gonna say, now. that would be one thing you could <laughs> tell people now. Well, it's DaveWertheim.com, and that's w- Dave, D-A-V-E-W-E-R-T-H-E-I-M.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much. That was a really, really great verb. I- I'd love to just hear a little bit more about um, what you did for 30 years in the business world and how you ended up going over and changing people's lives uh, as a, uh, basically, a, I guess, a spiritual philanthropist, you might call it. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Well, in, in the business world, I started out in the tech sector and in computers. I worked for Euler Packard for almost 30 years in marketing and business development and strategic planning. And what that allowed me to do, so I understand a little bit about you know, value propositions and appealing to people. But the, the, the biggest thing was, as I became a Christian, I was an agnostic for, actually, I have a very interesting history. I was raised Jewish, became agnostic at 15, but came to faith in Christ at 26. And as I began in getting involved in the spiritual world, I began to see that lots of people carry around a lot of pain in their lives. And I had pain in my life. And as I got closer to Christ, my life began to be transformed and changed. And I I began to ask myself the question, what's the difference between why I'm changing and other people are not? And as I began to see how people weren't changing, it compelled me to kind of get, get involved in their lives and try to help them and mentor them. I was a leader. I was a business leader. And so I had a lot of influence with people, and I felt like I could teach them how to do marketing, but how much better if I could teach them how to have a better life. And so I began to make that change and make that adjustment. 
I think it's just fantastic. So you're no longer in the business world, and now you're doing these other things. Are you basically co- you're coaching groups, and what exactly are you doing? Like, what, what would you say you are? How, how do you make yeah, your living? Yeah, I, 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 do, I do two things. I lead Bible studies because okay. I teach people how to study God's Word and apply it to their lives. But more than that, so, so a lot of people have instructional capability and teaching capability, but I get involved in people's lives. I, I actually mentor and disciple them and get involved in their marriage, get involved in how they're raising their kids. I mean, obviously they invite me in because they see the results. Uh, you have to have some element of success for people to want to follow you. And so I have a great marriage, been married for 32 years, have a wonderful wife, have wonderful adult men that have that I've raised that have that are that are walking faithfully with God. And so I spend time pretty much on a weekly basis for the last oh, I'd say 26 years I've led at least two or three groups at any one time with people ranging from I don't know the smallest usually 5 and the largest of 30 and we talk about things of the world and we talk about their situations and and I try to give them advice so sort of like a counseling role I'm a, I'd, I'd consider myself a lay counselor I don't have a counseling degree I don't have a pastoral de- degree but I have uh, godly wisdom that I can share with them well it's absolutely fantastic I'm just so inspired by what what you're doing and what you what you know the book that you've actually written the wonderful thing about you know when you have a business or whatever your passion is you know writing a book can really really propel you forward because like you said it it gives you well first of all you have credibility because of uh, your own life experiences uh, but but having a book can really really uh, it, it it just gives you so much credibility. I mean, there's nothing that that gives a person more credibility than being an author. And have you found that having your book has increased your business, or um, have you been able to get more clients, or you know maybe raise your fees a little bit, or uh, how have you found that having a book has helped your business? It, it has helped me a lot, Sally, because it has raised the credibility. What I've been doing, I already had the same knowledge, but now people are more aware of what I have. I have some credentials. So I've gotten invitations to come speak at men's retreats and at men's breakfasts and things like that, and I've had a lot more people be, begin asking me for advice. I haven't I haven't done a lot with in terms of consulting with churches at this time, but that's really the next step for me is to help churches build men's ministry and couples ministries so that they can they can duplicate what I've done. That's fantastic. Now, when you get invited by groups, do you actually search out places to speak, or would you say that people come to you? I, I, I do both because I happen to be have an aggressive personality, so I, I identify where I want to be speaking, and I notify people that I'm available and tell them a little bit more about what I could do. And then also other people that have read the book or people that I know, they've been recommending me. I've got a, I've got a lot of referrals from people that say, this, is, this guy's great, you need him, and then they call me and, and we set it up. That's fantastic, and that's something else that I want authors to know is that once you have a book, one of the best ways to get out there and sell your book is to become a speaker. It could be even something small, like small, in you know, very small, specific niche kind of groups. You don't have to get out there and be like the motivational Tony Robbins motivational speaker. You can actually speak to small groups if you know if it's a women's uh, topic. You can approach women's groups. But one of the things that um, a, ver- a, a trick that a lot of uh, very successful authors know is that you know at the beginning you just want to speak, speak, speak. You don't have to even right. off, you know do it for a fee. Right. You can do it for free. But you can tell the person hiring you, well, 
instead of a speaking fee, I would like for you to purchase or have every person who's attending the, speak, uh, the speech have it be a prerequisite that they purchase one copy of my book. And that's a right. great way to get your book out there and a great way to earn a speaking fee um, at the same time. Right. That, that's a great it? feedback, Sally. And, you know, so, and my advice would be, as I've been doing this, is you know, if, people are waiting, if people are waiting for Oprah to call them, they've got, they got a long way to go. And start out with, as you say, any venue that you can. And you should really target venues that who are the people that would benefit the most from, from what you have to say. And then you, have, then, you have, then you have your pitch to them as to why they should have you, why they should book you. That's right. You've got to have your elevator pitch down and a whole bunch of things that we love to talk about here on Blurb. And um, Let's listen to another Blurb, and then we can maybe talk about the elevator speech. Yes. Okay, so next up we have uh, Dr. John Ben Regesh. Uh, and let's see, I'm not sure. I think his book is called St. Paul, the First Antichrist. So let's take a listen. Blog Talk Radio. I am Dr. John Ben Regesh. I'm a lawyer and clergyman. The title of the book is St. Paul, the First Antichrist, and his religious nonfiction. It is unlike anything on the market today and is unlike anything in the history of Christianity. The book starts out with a new interpretation or exegesis, which eliminates the theory of two genesis and teaches you some of the underlying themes to look for when reading the Bible. There are more than 2,000 books on St. Paul, and all of them either try to extol his virtues and or explain away the differences between Paul's teachings and the teachings of Jesus, the law, and circumcision. When I wrote this, I had no such prejudice. I looked at it as an attorney, not a clergyman. Knowing that some people believe the Bible is an icon which contains the complete, inerrant word of God, I only use the Bible for the analysis of Paul. I was suspicious and always have been of Paul's epistles because I could never seem to completely mesh the teachings of Jesus and Paul into a single thought. So I simply took Jesus as the baseline of truth and laid out the teachings of Jesus and Paul in their own words and compared them the way we lawyers compare depositions of witnesses. You will see that on the subjects of the law and circumcision, they are diametrically opposed. So then taking the claims of Paul, who, by the way, is the only one in the first century who says that he, Paul, is an apostle, I looked for motive and found more than one motive for Paul to preach a different doctrine. Before you get halfway through this book, you will say, why go on? But lest anyone say, I left something out, the book treats the whole of Paul in context. As you read, you see the case unfold. I really could have left out my comments, but couldn't resist because, after all, I wrote the book. And finally, the book treats Peter by giving you a concise and logical explanation of John 21 concerning Peter. It even explains the number 153 and what it means. But for that, well, you have to read the book. Okay, um, I, I'd love your comments on that before I delve in here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll go for my comments, which is uh, uh, J John does a good job of intrigue, this little thing at the end about number 153. He has, I'd say, a pretty radical point of view, and so I think that creates curiosity, 
and you know I I I I personally I'm skeptical of his point of view, but it might make for interesting reading for somebody, particularly somebody maybe on the fence or somebody who that resonates with them. He was very clear about his point of view being that he considers Paul to be the first Antichrist and that his teachings uh, contradict or opposed to Jesus' teachings. So I'd have to say it's the first time I've heard that, somebody come with that point of view. So it is an interesting premise. Well, uh, you know, it is. It, it was a little unclear to me, maybe, you know, from somebody who um, is not uh, familiar with, with a lot of religious types of books. I was really confused about what it was about. And um, also, you know, one thing that makes a good blurb is to give a few examples. And he was very mysterious. He said something about, you know, explains what 153 means and you'll have to read the book and what exactly does that mean. And he speaks with a lot of big words like, you know, uh, there's couldn't, Jesus is a baseline of two diametrically opposed. I mean, obviously I know what those words mean, but I don't exactly know what he's talking about. I know he said he was suspicious of Paul's apostles, but I really wasn't quite sure what he was talking about. Like, he lost me a little bit. So in terms of our four criteria, bling, clarity, information, and delivery, I would have to say that he did deliver it well, uh, but the clarity and information were a little bit lacking for me just from my perspective, from just a complete sort of person who reads a lot of different things. So um, I would have liked to hear a little bit more clarity on that. What exactly is this book about? And give us some examples to back up what you're talking about. Sure. Uh, anything else you want to say before we move on to another blurb? Well, I did, I did say from a book point of view, he had, a, he had a good title. He had an intriguing title. And, you know, there's – you know, it's very interesting, Sally. The world seems to be enamored right now with shock therapy. Hmm. So if you have a radical point of view that you can get on a talk show, right? Right. They like controversy. That's they, one they, they thing like that they like controversy. Right. Yep. right. So they like controversy. So this, you know, I think this is very controversial. Now, personally, uh, you know, there, there are some things, as he, as he described it, in my mind I'm saying dissonance, dissonance. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. When I compare Paul's writings to Jesus' writings, and I'm very familiar with the Bible, I say, no, I don't, I don't see how he can get that. So, hmm. uh, so, so that, that's my reaction. But, you know, a lot of people are not as knowledgeable in that area, so they might say, hmm, I always had a feeling about that, so maybe I'll, maybe I'll want to read that. Interesting. Okay, well, very good feedback. Let's, let's go on and hear. I think what we're going to do is we're going to play one more blurb and talk about it. And then what I'm going to do, since um, Dr. Kent isn't here, I'm going to play an interview from, a, um, from an industry insider, an editor of Writer's Journal magazine that, we, that I pre-taped earlier in the week. And I think it'll be interesting uh, to listen to. But wow, if I've been glad to have you here. Let's listen to our last blurb. Uh, it, it's going to be from Eileen Flanagan. And I believe the title of her book is called The Wisdom to Know the Difference, When to Make a Change, and When to Let Go. Here we go. Hi, my name is Eileen Flanagan, and I'm the author of The Wisdom to Know the Difference, When to Make a Change, and When to Let Go. The book explores how to apply the message of the serenity prayer, accepting the things we cannot change, and changing those we can. To bring the idea of the serenity prayer to life, I interviewed an amazing array of people from diverse backgrounds, so each chapter includes real-life stories that illustrate the lessons of letting go and finding peace. 
The people in the book have faced a host of difficulties, such as paralysis, cancer, divorce, discrimination, even the loss of a child. And I was really inspired to hear how people told of overcoming such terrible challenges. The book also includes many stories of hope, such as one man who went from bankruptcy to winning Paul Newman's Most Generous Business Award, and another woman who felt stifled in her corporate career, so she decided to really follow her heart's desire and quit and became a best-selling author. The Wisdom to Know the Difference is a spiritual book, but it is written in a way that is accessible to people from different backgrounds, so you don't need to belong to a particular religion to relate to its message. It's organized around different spiritual themes, like listening within for divine guidance, knowing who we are, figuring out what our path or our calling in this life is, and relying on community in terms of helping us figure out what our path is and support us in the things that need both serenity and courage. There are exercises at the end of each chapter and questions to help the reader see how the ideas relate to the situations in their own life. I hope you'll check it out and be interested in the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you very much for listening. David, what do you think? Well, I think if I go now that I go back to your criteria about bling clarity, information, and delivery, her information and her clarity about this were very, very excellent. She also appealed a lot to people and to hope and told talked about some of the stories that are in there. So she gives a very clear explanation of exactly what the book is about. And I think if I were going to give any other constructive feedback for that for that blurb, it would be I think her delivery could have been a little bit more passionate because she's talking about something very, very valuable to people. There's a lot of people, and my book's very similar, there are a lot of people that are hurting, and she's got a remedy to try to help them to get past that. So a little bit more passionate about that, and potentially, uh, uh, like Aggie did, list her URL so that so that people can know how to get the book if they really wanted to buy it. Very, very excellent. You know, I always tell people that the only two things that you need in order to be a successful author are a passion for your topic and a sincere desire to help people. Now, she obviously has a sincere desire to help people, and she does have a passion, but you're right. The passion and the bling did not come through in her delivery. You're absolutely correct about that. She could definitely have have ramped that up a bit. And yes, where do we find her? Uh, You also have to learn as an author, when you're learning how to promote yourself, you can't be shy. And I loved what you said before. You said, you know, I can't remember the exact um, uh, what you used to describe yourself. You said something like, I'm a go-getter, I'm I'm aggressive, or something like that. Right. And that doesn't necessarily, you know, mean to have a negative connotation. You have to be so so called forthcoming and really a go-getter when it comes to being an author, because nobody's going to do it except for you, even the folks that have a big publishing contract, they're still going to have to do a lot of their own marketing, and they're going to have to go out there and really let people know and get their own platforms going. So yeah, you can't be shy. You've got to tell people. I always, you know, remind people with a little story about you know carry the book around in your in your purse and your you know on your person, have it with you at all times. You never know right. who you're going to meet. I was in Italy and. 
with my husband, and someone popped a cork across the room and practically hit my husband in the eye. We got to talking. It turns out they were just engaged. So I said, oh, you might need my book, The Daughter-in-Law Rules. And that led to a conversation which led to the fact that his sister worked for Tyra Banks, and I was able to get a full spread on her website. So it's it's just very interesting how things happen. You can't be shy. Of course, my husband's eyes were rolling the whole time as I was talking about it. (laughs) But just, you know, you've got to just let people know. Have a passion for your topic. Let people know about it. And obviously what we were talking about, Eileen, is that, you know, Make sure that you let people know where they can reach you. She's performing a wonderful service. People absolutely need her. And so that's absolutely something that she wants to make sure that she doesn't forget to do when she's talking to people. And her elevator, and and we we did talk about um, that we were going to mention elevator speeches. It's a very quick, I always teach people how to do this, a three-sentence way. If you were to meet Oprah or Steven Spielberg in elevator, you literally had 15 seconds to do it. What do you do? And there's a formula for it. The first sentence everybody can do. You you state your name and you state what your book is. So uh, for my situation, my name is Sally Shields, and I am the author of The Daughter-in-Law Rules, 101 Surefire Ways to Make Friends with Your Mother-in-Law. Okay, everybody can say their name, and everybody can say what the name of their book is. The second sentence takes a little bit more thought. What is your vision? And this this works really, really well for nonfiction authors, and it, it will work for fiction as well. But but this is the one that takes a little bit more time, and you have to sit down and and try to distill it into a soundbite almost. So, for example, my vision is to create more harmony among mothers and daughters-in-law by teaching brides and wives the art of making friends with their husband's mother. So you you really have to sit down and think about exactly what it is that your vision is. And the third sentence, tell people what's in it for them. What problem can you solve? And this is also very valuable when you try to pitch radio stations. You know, what, is, what, what problem can you solve for people? So an example in my elevator pitch is I can reveal the things that every wife can do in order to create a lifetime of peace with her husband and the other woman in his life, his mother. So three very distinct sentences, and once you get your elevator pitch down, you can really go and create a lot of buzz. You can get radio stations interested, and you can get um, you can get on the air. You can try to get people interested in writing articles about your book. But these are the kinds of things that um, really help distill your ideas down into short, distinct sentences, because you really want to make sure people, media people, have very little time. You know, you've got to get your ideas out quickly, and you'll know pretty soon whether or not. They're, they're interested in hearing more or, or they're not. And obviously, if it's not a fit, then you don't want to go on and on either. So right. that, that's just my little elevator spiel there. And, and Sally, I'd make two other comments. One is, so the, the key goal of the elevator pitch is to have them interested enough to talk to you some more about it. That's right. Right. Exactly. Then you, have, you, you earn the right because people aren't going to give you the time of day, but if you earn the right, you get more. And Sally, I was very, very intrigued. I went to your website earlier today, and I, I looked at your media and the number of interviews you've done. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about that because you've done an incredible job of getting exposure for yourself. Well, thank you. I mean, like I said, it, it comes down to passion and having fun. And I always tell people, you know, as long as you're having fun doing it, you're going to keep, keep going out there and, and looking for interviews. And one of my secret weapons, and I want everybody out there to know about it because it's really fun. Um, David, have you particularly heard of, of Haro Helper Reporter Out? Have you heard about that service? Yes, I have. Actually, I have. Okay, that's In fact, that's great. how I got that's how I got connected with you. 
That's right. Okay, well, one of see, they, there was another guy out there, I can't even remember his name, but he used to charge $99 a month for the very same type of service where it connects authors with the media. And there's a lot of people out there looking for authors and experts so that they can interview them on the radio or they can mention them in some you know sidebar of their magazine article. But if everybody goes to helpareporter.com or helpareporterout.com, sign up for a free account, and every day, three times a day, you'll get pitches set to you in your inbox and I just pitch 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 now the the main thing is you want to make sure that you pitch on topic because if you don't you you can get a bad reputation so and you could also get thrown off of Haro because the guy that runs Haro is pretty strict he's like make sure you pitch on topic or I'm going to hear about it and so you only want to answer those things that are you know really uh, appropriate for you and your expertise so that's one of the things that I do and I also um, purchased a radio database, and I, I pitch all the time just different radio stations. And when I see opportunities, I'll just go out there. Once you have your elevator pitch down, that's pretty much what you need. And you also need maybe a little media release and a hook. And that, that's some of the things that, that I talk about when I, when I coach authors is that the quickest way to get media attention is to tie into something newsworthy. So, for example, when I saw that you know, Obama's mother-in-law was moving into the White House, I thought, aha, I'm going to write about a, a, a little media release that ties into that. And the right. heading that I put was, you know, um, Obama's mother-in-law is moving into the White House. How to create a lifetime of peace with your mother-in-law. You know, so in other words, if, if something in the news happens and when, when the whole election thing was, was happening and I knew that Joe, I heard that Joe Biden's mother-in-law had passed away, I, I put in a Google alert. And this is another thing people can do. They can go to Google.com, click alert and put in their keywords for their topic, and I'm notified when something in the news comes up around mothers-in-law, daughters-in-law. So I, I heard that Joe Biden's mother-in-law, so I sent out a, a press release that said, you know, Joe Biden's mother-in-law has just passed. How to, how to make peace with your own mother-in-law before it's too late. So you can sort of meld what's happening in the news with something that you're an expert at. And then people, the media people, are excited because they need experts to go to and be able to quote and get you know, quotes from and all of that. So that's what I love to do, and it's a lot of fun for me. So I just keep going out there. I keep trying to be creative with my headlines, or they call them hooks. Try to relate to what's happening in the news today. And another tip is that, you know, making a media calendar for yourself, which is, uh, you know, what times of year might be specific to something that's happening in your book. And for me, for example, Mother's Day would be one, holiday time. Right. You know, it doesn't have to be a million times a year. If you can find one or two times a year, that might really fit in with what you're doing and then start pitching around those times. So those are some of the little uh, hints that I can talk about. Right, and, and Sally, I would summarize for people that are listening to this, t- two key things that you said that resonate so well. One, finding a hook, always thinking about hooks that you can use. And the other is just the block and tackling of the basic work that you have to always do as an author to just keep yourself visible. And even the things you talked about, you're constantly thinking about it and, and submitting pitches and doing different things. There's really no shortcut. You have to actually do the work. That's right. That's right. Exactly. But, you know, it's great because once you do the work and you have a basic media press release and you've got that ready to go, it's just a matter of tweaking here and there and just kind of being creative and on top of things. Right. But, yeah, it's true. You do have to do work. But, like I said, if you have a passion for your topic, and it, it becomes fun. And so that's really the crux of it. 
Now, here, I noticed that we have seven minutes left, so you know what we're going to do? Instead of me playing that Liana Grosky interview, let's listen to just one more blurb. Um, I think that'll be a great way to close out the show. We've got one more blurb on cue here by Reverend Tim Shank, and I'd love to play that. Here we go. Love Talk Radio. Hi, this is Father Tim, Episcopal priest, dad, and author of What Size Are God's Shoes? Kids, Chaos, and the Spiritual Life. I wrote the book because I, frankly, got tired of reading books on spirituality that assume you have three hours a day to wander around the woods in silence. That's great if you're a monk, and heck, some of my best friends are monks, but let's get real. For most of us, especially those with kids, that's just not happening. There's certainly no stained-glass lifestyle in our house. My guys, Ben and Zach, are 8 and 10. We've got an energetic dog named Delilah and a goldfish named Clem. So life is fun and crazy and loud and chaotic. Nothing like the stereotypical, perfect Stepford-like clergy family. As with most siblings, Ben and Zach are either playing great together or killing one another. There's not much in between. But the underlying point of my book is that God does indeed exist in the midst of domestic chaos. We just need to open our eyes and keep our sense of humor intact. Because let's face it, no one's able to stop and pray when the kids are all yelling for chicken nuggets from the backseat of the minivan. So you carve out brief moments of quiet amid the madness, like when they're finally on the school bus in the morning, or when you pawn them both off on a play date one afternoon. The reality is that you're simply not going to have the Dalai Lama's prayer life right now. So it's time to get over it and work with what you've got. If you're a parent, you'll absolutely be able to relate to the essays in What Size Are God's Shoes. And if you care about your own spiritual life and that of your kids, I guarantee you'll be inspired even as you laugh out loud. Come visit me on the web at www.frtim.com. You might even find out what size God's shoes really are. What do you think uh, of that one, David? Oh, I, I, first off, I like this guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, he, he's passion. He's got passion. He he talks on a realistic level to the average person that's out there. He, he had a lot of humor, talked about his family, his, his kids, and he has a great title, you know, What Size Are God's Shoes? So It, it yeah. is. It's fantastic. And those of us that have children, I, I have small children myself, three and seven, and I related to that right away. It's like, let's get real here. <laughs> I have time to go walking in the woods. So, yeah, I would love – this is a book that would absolutely appeal to me. And, um, of course, I, I giggled when I – Heard him talking about his kids uh, screaming for nuggets in the back seat there. So, um, yeah, I thought it was great. And he followed the – he had bling, he had clarity, he delivered – you could tell he, was, he had a little smile throughout. He had humor in there, and then he gave his website and how people could reach him. So I really, really enjoyed listening to that, to that blurb quite a bit. Yes. Great. Well, gosh, I just want to thank you so much for pinch hitting at the last minute here. I think Dr. Kent might have been stuck in traffic, and you were so, so sweet to jump on the line and be my co-host today on Blurb. It was just such an honor to have you here. So it was an absolute pleasure, and I really appreciate everybody in the chat room that showed up today and uh, participated that way. And I'd, I'd love to continue our correspondence, so I'm, I'm going to email you after the show and um, – 
I just so appreciate you being here, David. Thanks again. Well, Sally, it was my pleasure and a privilege. And it's so great to hear more about your show. Oh, thanks so much. And everybody, please tune in next Friday at 1230 Eastern and continue with our blurbs and have a fantastic week, everybody. Take care. Bye.